comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You heard of this thing, the 8-Minute Abs? Yeah, sure, 8-Minute Abs. Yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh Yeah, well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this. 7-Minute Abs. Episode 324. The move of the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to a half hour wasted. Tonight's episode, it's still dark. Frank? Frank? Where's Frank? Frank! Oh, forgot. He said he wasn't going to be here today. <sighs> we are Frank-free today. That explains why we couldn't see him. I know. I just thought he had his Harry Potter cloak on. Usually he's hard to miss, and that's, that's, a, that's a reflection on his, his giant personality. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hang on. Here we go. There we go. Thank you. Not that he's eight feet tall. He has he has an aura, by the way, people. You have to see to believe, okay? What episode is this? He shines brightly, much like a stream of bat piss. It uh, shines uh, brightly in the dark, of, leaving a trail of, for all of us to follow. Of bat what? Bat wee-wee. Oh, okay. Does it glow? Does that glow? I don't know. According to that Monty Python skit, it does. Oh, okay. Well, if you're talking Monty Python, that's fine. This is episode 324. It's Frank Free today because... And by the what? way, I realize I paraphrased that quote greatly. No, okay? I, so I, don't... I, I, please don't email me with the correct quote because I realize that that wasn't it. Okay? I was having a little fun. Right. Reward play. We got it. Yeah. All right. We got it, people. Okay. We understand... Thank you. ...that you're frustrated. Hey, thank you for your concern. Yeah. It, it's Brad and me, so I understand your frustration, too. Quick bit of good news, though, um, before I forget. I put my very first item up for sale on eBay... Never done it before, but I put my Daryl Dixon walk action. Uh, Daryl Dixon, uh, bleep, 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 Daryl Dixon. Doesn't he have Walking a bunch of Dead? Yes, he does. Okay, I put my Daryl Dixon Walking Dead action figure. Un, it was out of box. I had him on my okay. desk for a long time. Right, Liz Hill. Yes, when I saw her at the Frightmare convention, the great she, Liz Hill. She mentioned that a friend of hers sold her out of box uh, Walking Dead. Daryl Dixon figure, yeah, on eBay for over a hundred bucks. Woo! I put mine up for auction uh, about six days ago, and I've got just under twenty three hours left in my auction. It's already up to sixty six dollars. Well, cool. I paid what fifteen bucks for this thing. Okay, and some people uh, really like say uh, Daryl Dixon. I guess that's a pretty tremendous ROI there. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. Especially since you got to play with it too. I mean, it's not like you had, you kept it in a 
cool dry place in its box. Within 30 minutes of me putting this auction up, I got two messages through eBay saying, hey, if you don't want to auction this off, I'll just pay for it how much you want for it. And that's against policy. You can't do that. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Um, so, so the do you not... I, I'm not an eBay guy. Yeah. I mean, do you, you not you, do the buy it now thing? I didn't on you? this. I did. There is the option, but I chose not okay. to. Since it's my first eBay item, I wanted right. to go through the auction process okay. and really feel it. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking, why Why wouldn't you just put your, your shoe for the stars price as a buy it now and just, well, you know. I mean, if someone actually said, I will pay you $115 yeah, I today, said. then... It's old, buddy. You know, somebody on the street. But since it's my first item for sale, I didn't want to, quote, unquote, go against the grain with eBay or okay. do anything to raise flags or whatever. So right. I just thought I'm going to play it like you're supposed to. Yeah. I'm up to $66. Not 45 minutes ago, it was at $61. Really? Yeah. Um, last night, it was at $41. Huh. So people so want this. It is... It's always seemed like it is the nature. Has this been your experience, your one experience, that uh, that the price starts escalating as you near the end yeah, of the auction? Yeah, exponentially. Exponentially, okay. yeah. And uh, I expect tomorrow with like in the last hour. Okay. I know when I've purchased items yeah. or wanted to purchase items on eBay, I have purchased items, but I've set an alarm on my phone okay. to remind me, hey, your auction's ending within the hour. Uh, okay. The one you're watching is ending within the hour, yeah. so you might want to go. I've won a couple of auctions by doing what they're okay. calling what they call sniping. Right. Yes. Yes. Which is waiting for the last second and then, then clicking enter or place yes. bid or and hoping for the yes. best. With two seconds left, I'm, I'm I get that. I've won an auction or two that way. Okay. I according well, I mean, to my hey, those are the rules. To, yeah. According to my uh, number next to my name on my eBay ID is says seventeen. I believe that means I've had seventeen transactions. And all of them have been purchases. I've only made 17 okay. purchases from eBay. Okay. I'm trying to think if my number would be uh, zero or one. Yeah. Which, I guess, makes anyway, me pretty special. This is fun, though. It uh, it kind of makes me wish I had... Um, you know, I've been paring down my collection over the past several years. It okay. kind of makes me wish I'd put other items up for sale on eBay, but... Okay. Well, as opposed to what selling them on the street corner, you'd like just have them on the underside the, of your uh, the used bookstore, your, your or, trench coat, and you go, "Hey, yeah. hey, buddy, hey, come check this out." Yeah. You drag him back in the alleyway, and then you open your trench coat, and uh-huh. he sees all the items you got taped to the inside of your trench coat next to the Rolexes. That's perfectly legitimate. Yeah. And non weird. Yeah. Okay. Because those things stuff usually like, are stuff like that. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into an alley with a man in a trench coat and walked out thinking. That was actually rather pleasant. Yeah, I've never had that happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he 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 comported himself well. Um, you know, he uh, spoke with a British accent, which always helps. Um, you know, and uh, you know, he had it's romantic. Uh, he had quality goods at a reasonable price. It's romantic. The English accent. It is. It is. It it helps. And, and I just I've never really understood this. Um, how having a British accent actually does increase your IQ by 15 to 20 points, I'm thinking. If we get to talking about Sherlock later in the episode. Yes. Uh, oh, have you, you? You did not. I've, I marathoned all of them. Yes. Well, over the course of three days. Hey, you want to know a horrible, dirty secret of mine? Not yet. Okay. I don't want to talk about Sherlock yet. Okay. Because we can save that for all later. Right. But I just 
wanted to let you know and the listeners know that I've watched all available episodes and nice. I absolutely love it. So, but we wanted to that makes me happy. Uh, Frank's not here because life gets in the way as happens sometimes. Yes. So he'll theoretically be back for our next recording. Yeah, we expect him to be out of the coma shortly, mm-hmm. and uh, the body cast uh, really doesn't get in the way of podcasting. Um, it's really it's the, it's the warts he's trying to get frozen off right now. So, yeah, that's not the only thing that might get in the way of podcasting. Right? How do you like that segue? Oh. <laughs> All right, so I was going to pull that one about five minutes ago, but I said, you know what? Let's let this episode breathe a little bit. I hear you because people like that. Um, as far as I know, I don't remember who brought this to my attention first, and it wasn't <laughs> Frank, even though he, he he thinks it might be. It's not a contest, but I think I saw actually saw Jim Dietz of the Long Box of Doom post something on Facebook about this. But uh, hey, have you heard their new open yet? No, I haven't. I heard some some really talented uh, guy voiced yeah? it for okay, them. Okay, I'll have to listen to it. I haven't heard it yet. I'll have to listen to it. You know what? <laughs> Maybe we just listen to it right now. Go for it. All right. I'm going to pull up the uh, the website. Uh, it's going to be Zippy the Clown, by the way, everybody. I just I, I don't want to you know, I don't want to let anybody down here thinking and it's me. Back. Yeah. By it's, the way, the the master feed and all the other feeds are slowly being filled uh, backwards. Okay. Um. So earlier and earlier shows are appearing. Uh. Sporadically, randomly. Okay. So I, it, I didn't realize that that had to happen. Yeah, newer. I'm I'm basically um, manually entering into our the half hour wasted feed and the master feed. Okay. Um, I'm entering each individual podcast we've done. Wow. Okay. I've, I'm in also doing that for the Walking Dead podcast. Okay. Um, I've done that for the all the Shield. Episodes we've done is it um, simple, some, just time consuming. I mean, it's time consuming. Is it just tedious, or it probably takes um, anywhere from two to three minutes per yeah, okay. episode okay. to do? But it's time it's time consuming, right. depending on your internet speed, and it's you just see. tedious and, and repetitive, yeah. and and you're like, did I do that episode already? I don't know. Let me check. Oh the boy, thing. let me go check the feed. Well, I'd be uh, I'd be happy to help uh, help with that. So, you know, come find me after okay. the podcast is over, and uh, maybe you can write the instructions out on a post-it note. I just clicked on the link for LOD 243, okay. which I believe is the first episode of... Yeah, they are, uh, you know what? Trying their hardest to catch up to us, aren't they? I don't need to do that, because I've, I've actually got it downloaded on my iTunes. It's on the so hard drive. Here we go. Movies. Music. I'm getting nervous. Yeah, I've not heard the long box Ooh. of Doom open, so... Television. Honestly, this don't. is the HHW LOD podcast. Let's Network. all find out together. Here we go. Ooh, spooky. Banded together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time. <laughs> the Long Box of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective. The Conquest of the Comic Book Universe. (sighs) Russell. I love you so much, Russell. Hello, everyone. Cool. I expected it to be a departure. Dang it. Well, he, he he wanted one red straight. Uh huh. 
And then he wanted Dead Knight. Yeah. But banded together from remote universes. Yeah. Are some of the most sinister bloodcasters ever known. That's, that's overdoing it a little tiny bit, but uh, I gave him one of each, and I really, really wanted him to use the Ted Knight version. I uh, used the straight version. So I um I expected a complete departure, and I, yet I'm pleasantly surprised that it's a callback to the old yes Legion of Dudes. Mental note to me: never give Russell the straight version ever again. <laughs> Only send him the crazy cartoon version. If I said Jim Logan, would you know who I was talking about? Uh, I heard about this guy a few months ago, and it was something completely un- unrelated to what we do. Um, but I found his uh, business practices, uh, shall we say, fascinating. I wouldn't say he's completely unrelated to what we do. It, 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 currently, what he, he's being known for is definitely yeah. related to what we do. Oh, yes. Uh, for those of you who want a more in-depth discussion and explanation of what we're about to talk about, you need to listen to episode 462 of the Planet Money podcast. That's an NPR podcast. Uh Episodes 462, When Patents Hit the Podcast. And I'm going to read the episode description on their webpage for this episode, and it'll basically set up the uh, topic here. Back in the 90s, Jim Logan started a company called Personal Audio. The concept was simple. People could pick out magazine articles they liked on the Internet, and his company would send them a cassette tape of those articles being read out loud. The cassette tapes didn't catch on like Jim hoped, but he had bigger dreams for the idea behind them. He dreamed that one day you wouldn't need a cassette player. You would just be able to hear smart people talking about whatever subject you wanted, kind of like what we do. Right. Uh, and that audio would be magically downloaded to a device of your choice. He says he dreamed of podcasting as we know it today. Now, Jim Logan did not create the technology to podcast, He himself is not a modern-day podcaster, but he did get a patent on that big dream of downloading personalized audio, and he claims to have the patent on podcasting. And after listening to this this episode, both Bill and I listened to this episode, I think the long and short of it is he had an idea, he got a patent for it, and now he wants to make money from people like us yeah, and of course, people who make money doing podcasts—we don't make money doing our show, obviously. But he wants us to pay him and his company a licensing fee to podcast. Yeah, to to utilize his brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, uh, right now, uh, um, I'm not remembering the entire list. And this uh, this NPR podcast uh, is very listenable. It was less than a half hour. So, yeah. you know, compared to us, you're getting a real break time-wise. You're yeah. really not wasting as much of your life listening to them as you are to us. No. Um, that being said, uh, they they dealt with this. Uh, the podcast itself dealt with this subject in a kind of a top top level approach. It wasn't it wasn't very nuts and bolts. It wasn't very technical. It was it was more about the human side of it. I think I could understand it. Um, same here, um, but uh, they have actually uh, they've sent letters to people like Mark Marin. Uh, they've actually sued people like uh, NBC and they, Adam Carolla. They sued Apple. Yes, they he another patent he has yeah. apparently is the idea of creating a playlist. Yeah, he, so he sued Apple because you can make playlists when you use iTunes. Yes. 
Um, so he's basically suing iTunes for being iTunes. Yeah. Um, it's amazing they, to me that you have the nerve to do something like that. But I this guess... Is, this is like me saying, you know what? I'm going to invent the idea of time travel. <laughs> and I'm going to patent that idea. And then You're on to something. sometime later in the future... Of course, I didn't. Was it H.G. Wells Brad, that invented time travel? I think but, that I think that idea is ahead of its time. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That's like, you know what? The idea of taking a walk at midnight in the moonlight. I'm going to patent that idea. Nice, because eventually somebody somewhere is going to do it, and I'm going to have to charge them a licensing fee to do that. I'm going to I'm going to watch Match.com, and I'm going to read all these profiles, and if they say. I like to take long walks on the beach at moonlight. That's the Bam. guy I'm going after. Bam. That's this this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Search for keywords. Uh-huh. Um This is uh Moonlight. This guy walks. He owns an this entire company of his is based around this business model of patenting very broad ideas. Hang on, I'm, I'm checking out match.com. Searching keywords. Long it's it's walk yeah in, in moonlight. Keep, keep going. Um, he doesn't intend, apparently, to actually create anything. That, here's, here's the rub. And I don't mean to get to the point too fast, because, frankly, uh, this, is probably, this is probably like whiplash for, for those of you who listen to me. Yeah. Um, but patent law was created to protect creators, and obviously, an, an idea can be a patent, but I think in the original day, you weren't, pat- you weren't patenting the idea of something that uses electricity to create light. You're patenting the mechanics behind the light bulb. So patent law has been twisted over the course of the last hundred or some odd years to a point where um, a lot of people think the patent law is actually becoming uh, a, a detriment to inventors rather than a help to them. And a lot of it has to do with what guys like this Jim fellow are doing. Um, they, they call it patent trolling, where they will go out, a, a company will literally go out and buy up patents, which are theoretically being unused or, or are kind of unclaimed, uh, if you will. Uh, but they'll buy patents from inventors, uh, from people, from corporations, whatever, and they will just sit on them. Well, the, the thought being that it's almost like uh, registering a domain name. It's like, I don't need it right now. I was now. just thinking that same yeah. thing. You um, can search for like, you know, six-minute abs. And, oh, right. somebody already bought that domain yeah. a year ago. Now I want it. I'll pay X amount of money for it. Yeah. Some people make a living doing that. So the concept is not dissimilar where you've got uh, you got these people going out and buying patents um, kind of almost blindly. I mean, I'm sure they're... I'm sure they're not just throwing darts at the wall and saying today we're going to buy these kind of patents, but they're they're not buying patents with a specific purpose. Uh, they're kind of buying them. Well, the specific purpose is to make money, uh, obviously, but uh, they're buying these patents with the idea of sitting on them for a length of time, whether that length of time is months or years. And then when they find it appropriate, when people start utilizing the ideas behind these technologies, uh, or when these these technologies start uh, uh, actualizing. Then uh, they go and they basically extort these companies for money. They, the concept is they will write a, a mean letter to somebody and say, hey, um, you know what? Uh, you're, you're, you're using this idea that, that I 
clearly had 17 years ago because I've got a patent for it, even though I didn't come up with the idea. I bought the patent from somebody else, which is also another problem with the, with the patent system in America. It's like, how in the world can you transfer you know, ownership of your idea you know, to somebody else? I mean, Edison was hurting one day, and he's got this brilliant idea for this uh, incandescent light bulb which actually, that's a whole other story. It really wasn't Edison. It was other people. He just kind of glommed onto it. Kind of like Bob Kane and Batman. Yeah, okay. Really? Yeah, Bill Finger is pretty much widely accepted as the creator of Batman, not okay. Bob Kane, but Bob Kane was street smart and oh. and in all legal documents and and whatnot, it basically he's credited as the creator of Batman when it's pretty much generally known that Oh, that the hurts. writer, uh, well, the writer. It, I, I can't remember exact. He was a writer, yes, but anyway, it's the same idea. Interesting. Bi- Bob Kane, pretty much. He may have had a, a bit to do with the creation of Batman, but he certainly didn't do yeah. the, the heavy lifting. So you've got a you've got a guy running a business uh, with a, a fairly shady concept, uh, in that they're going to go out and they're going to uh, round up all these patents that other people aren't using. They're going to sit on them, and then they're going to try and scare people um, into uh, just, hey, you know what? Uh, gosh, I can't afford a lawsuit, so fine. I'm just going to go ahead. I'm just going to go pay you, okay? I'm just going to pay you. So what do you want? What kind of money do you want? And um, they also said that it's not, it's not a case of them uh, writing a letter and saying, you owe us X number of dollars for, you know, we want you to pay us this many dollars for licensing. Uh, no, kind of the idea is to scare the, uh, the, the recipient of the letter as much as possible. And then the recipient starts thinking, oh, my God, what's a lawsuit going to cost me? And they're kind of hoping that, that these recipients of letters kind of almost bid against themselves, push their own price up through just simple fear, and then, um, and then they may give these people too much money. Um, it's obviously, you know, the, the guy sending out the letter, he doesn't want a lawsuit any more than the person receiving the letter does. He wants to make it quick, clean, and neat and just get a, uh, get a nice settlement. You know. Now, much like those, these, 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 these trolls that, that hit you with spam on the Internet, um, they can afford to just blanket every IP address they can find with these letters. Hey, man, uh, you know how great uh, Raspberry Ketone is for you? Uh, you know, do you want a car with a low interest rate? Uh, you know, do you want anything, anything out there? Um, if they can get one out of 100,000 people to buy their product, they're making money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the concept behind this. They blanket they blanket enough people. They get enough people just just blindly scared of of, of their their theoretical lawsuit. Um, then they're making money, um, which is odd because lawyers are involved in this and uh, they don't work cheap. So uh, he must be he must be getting a lot of people to do this. And uh, I wish I had a list of all the patents that this guy has, but um, they listed several in that article. Okay, okay. Um, Again, you really should. Listen to this. It's 20-something minutes long, episode 462, called When Patents Hit the Podcast of the Planet Money uh, Podcast. It's on, you can find it at npr.org. So I think the, uh, the biggest problem is that they're taking these patents and they're kind of uh, trying to shoehorn these patents uh, to fit what they're trying to sell. Well, they even basically. said that... Um, it was if you have a patent on something, it's legal to go back a few 
years later and retcon it, basically. Right. You can go back and adjust it. Yeah. And it doesn't seem... No, it doesn't. Um, it also seems like a patent should live or die with the creator, or at the very least, the creator's family. You know? um, and I guess this is America, and theoretically, you know, this is a free market system. And if... You know, if Edison has this uh, patent for a light bulb, but he's really, really hungry and he's about to lose his house, someone comes to him and says, dude, I'll give you 500 bucks for that patent. And he says, well, shoot, for 500 bucks, it's 1911. And I could buy my house. I wouldn't have to make payments anymore. And I'd still have like 200 bucks left over. I could buy a car and, and eat for the next year. You know what? All right, I'll sell you my patent. So I, I understand that that it should not necessarily be illegal to sell a patent to a third party who otherwise has nothing to do with the creation of said product uh, or idea. Um, but it still seems a really skeezy way to, uh, to, to live the American dream. And, uh, and I wish that people like Jim um, would have enough shame to do things the right way. Uh, he, there's in that, episode that I would keep mentioning one of the hosts interviews him and his lawyer right and so you can hear this guy actually himself I got a kind of a funny feeling listening to him yeah he seemed a bit skeevy oh yeah you know yeah um, let's say Bill that we got a cease and desist letter because that's what he's doing is yes is uh, <laughs> sorry, I get a text message um <laughs> Say we get a cease and desist letter from his company. What is it called? Personal Audio. Maybe it's not even his company doing it, but whatever. You know, what do we do? I mean, do we just ignore it and keep... It's hard to imagine that somebody little like us would get one. But is it worth the hassle to keep... That's exactly the point. If he if he blankets enough of those letters out to, you know, how many podcasters are there in the world, or, or at least in the United States, where his patent probably holds sway? And I don't know, if, is this patent international or simply national? I don't know. Um, but yeah, he, he has to get a very, like I always said, you know, uh, a, spam, a spam internet uh, marketer has to get one out of 100,000 people to respond and buy their product to make money off it. Because it's so cheap. To send out the, the the notice, the letter, the email, it's incredibly cheap to do that. The, the, your main expense is finding the addresses to send them to. It's the same thing here. I mean, it costs him nothing but a bunch of paper that he's got to print and his lawyer's time, uh, and you know he's got to run down to the post office to mail all these letters out. That's what it costs him. So he can he can effectively troll for. What amounts to almost free money? He's just hoping that people will settle instead of him having to sue them. Yeah, you know, and you know, if he sent us a cease and desist letter and we said, "Okay, fine," and you know, we're tired of doing this show anyway, he didn't get any money off of us, right? You know, so all he's done is he's he's kicked people in the crotch. He's not going to go for, for no benefit. He's not going to go for little guys like us. I I agree with you. He's I just, mean, I'd be shocked if we got a cease and desist letter. Yeah, I mean, you've got, again, right now, the guys he's looking at are Apple and NBC and Adam Carolla, right. who who actually makes a living off his podcast. I don't know what kind of numbers Adam Carolla gets, but it's it's significant. It's yeah. it's immense for uh, for podcasting. Uh, is he the, 
Is he the number one podcaster in the world? I Let's think see. they were saying um, mm-hmm. on their on in this episode that there was actually somebody else who was bigger. Okay. Um, let's see. Anyway, by I, I think it's an interesting and stat, sad story that that he would do something like that. So somebody somebody like that who tries to work the system for their own benefit just kind of disgusts me. You know. Yeah, and all we're doing is we're we're just uh, clearly this guy is uh, going to come after us next because you know we've uh, we poked the uh, we poked the sleeping dog, stirred the hornet's nest. Yeah, and uh, with all the money that we make off this, which is zero, um, uh, he, I, you know, I guess maybe we'll offer him a uh, you know cut of the action. You know, it's I think okay, the long dude. and short of it is that we don't have anything to worry about. Right, I really believe that. And um, there's some there's an organization out there fighting them and and what they're doing is they're looking for examples that these magazines on tape mm-hmm. weren't in fact the first quote unquote podcast that somebody else was doing it before he filed the patent. So okay. if they can find an example of that, then the patent's null and void. Yes. Now uh uh Jim uh, if you do want to uh, come after us, might I uh, instead suggest that you uh, you go after uh, dining with Doug and Karen or uh, totally whoa, whoa, whoa. lame? That's not very nice. Call Chelsea Pratt. That's not very nice. Laurelboro Country, the Todd Glass Show, Never Not Funny, uh, the Dark Forest, uh, Dead Authors. That's not very nice. Okay, all right. Just trying to help it. the guy out. Let's talk about something more important. Thank you. Than that, like movies, Star Trek Into Darkness. We're not done yes. talking about it. I thought I was done talking about it the first uh, after uh, the last podcast. Um, we had our lovely roundtable discussion with a lot of uh, beautiful, intelligent people, and uh, well, intelligent. we got a lot done. I would say intelligent, no, beautiful okay, is a that. bit of a stretch. It's, well, it's, it's it's subjective. I get that, um, but uh, yeah, I. Uh, uh, so we all saw it that Saturday night, and I think uh, with two exceptions, Frank and Star, I think they had seen it previously. Correct. Um, other than that, the other half dozen people in the room, we were all fresh off right. seeing it. And so ideas need time sometimes to percolate and to refine themselves. And uh, um, I, I we, we saw the uh, the 2D version of it uh-huh. in a nice big theater that we weren't getting, you know, we weren't, we weren't hurting ourselves. You know, we weren't seeing it in like a little tiny band box or anything like that. Um, we saw it in a nice situation. Um, two days later, Monday night, I just had this this thing in the back of my head. I'd heard people talk about how great the uh, the 3D was, and and uh, I kind of wanted to see it in the the XD theater with the Dolby Atmos sound, right? And with the 3D and all that. So yeah, I went back, and uh, my first impression was, hey, half the previews are in 2D. What's going on here? <laughs> and they finally had a couple of. Uh, Finally, had a couple of 3D uh, uh, promos, uh, trailers before the movie started. That made me feel better. But uh, the 3D, um, honestly, uh, if you want to be if you want to be awed by by a 3D environment, um, go quick before it's out of the theaters. Go catch the 3D version of Oz the Great and Powerful at your local dollar theater. I know it's not in the regular theaters anymore. I got that. Into Darkness 
I saw the 3D. I've seen it three times now, okay. the movie. And the second viewing was a really crappy quality 3D Ooh. at a place called Harkins Theater. Okay. I recommend avoiding 3D movies at Harkins Theaters oh, at no. all costs. And then I saw... Jeez, that's one more guy who's going to be suing our butts. Yeah, I saw a 3D um, Cinemark. Okay. And um, it was neat, but it by no means is necessary to see this movie in 3D. I agree. Um, I heard, uh, was it was it one of the long boxers who uh, told us in an email chain that just seeing the warp trails alone was worth the price of the 3D admission? That I believe so, and that's why I wanted to go see 3D. I had that phrase stuck in my head until I saw it in 3D. Yeah. And I thought, it was good. Yeah, it wasn't but wasn't it wasn't like the it wasn't like the war it was like I ducked out of the way or anything. It know? wasn't something to dig up your dead grandpa and tell him about. Right. You know. Yeah. It was neat. Yeah, you can you can leave Bernie as in Long as, Island. As soon as I saw the warp you know, transition happen the first time, I was like, That's neat, but I kinda regret spending the extra money on three D <laughs> now. Anyway. Um io9.com we come from the future is their tagline it's a really cool website io9 is awesome they had an article um and i've seen several people on facebook talking about this article but it's called star trek into darkness the spoiler faq okay and i'm gonna read it i'm gonna have to edit some of the language but um it's almost like these are it's two people talking. Yes. So let me. Um, he says, cool. "I'm going to stop this insipid uh, machine from beeping here." Oh, okay. So he says, after making a mere eighty-four million dollars at the box office um, past weekend, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness is considered by some to be a disappointment. Perhaps the problem was that it was a touch confusing. To help our readers better understand it. We've compiled and answered these frequently asked questions about the movie. Okay. Maximum spoilers ahead. So, again, we're talking about start uh, into darkness. If you don't want any more spoilers, <sighs> skip the rest of this episode. I don't remember being confused by this so much. No, but, I wasn't either. But, but it's, it's all good. But this FAQ, tongue in cheek FAQ, by the way, excellent. brings up a lot of very valid and excellent points. Okay, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? They're kind of right on Ugh. with this. Doesn't mean I can't. Enjoy the movie, which I did three times. Right. Says, how does the movie start? Well, um, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have to use maybe, anyway, never mind. I was going to say I have to use a different voice so you'll know, but you can tell, whatever. How's the movie start? Well, with Kirk and Bones messing with a planet of primitive aliens, they steal some kind of holy scroll and then get chased through a red jungle. Seems like kind of a dick move to me. Well, it's not very clear, but ostensibly they've stolen the scroll to get chased in order to draw the aliens away from a volcano that's about to explode. Okay, I'll pause here and say no. that was one of the first questions I had upon second viewing. Was, okay. Why did Kirk steal the scroll to begin with? It seemed more clear to me the second time around. The first time around, I thought they're just kind of being that way. Uh, yeah. But no, what they were trying to do was uh, they were – Spock was going into the volcano. Right. They were trying to draw the attention of the people. They weren't trying to draw the people away from the volcano because this volcano exploding was theoretically a world killer. Right, and they so bring that up here in a what second. they were trying to do was they were trying to uh, distract attention away from 
the spaceship flying down into the volcano to theoretically drop off and retrieve Spock. Okay. So I think they were just literally trying to get people, hey, look this way. Don't right. look that way. I like your explanation better than what I'm about to read. Oh, okay. Um, he says, okay, that, that seems reasonable. And then the answer guy says, except that, number one, when the volcano erupts, it's going to kill everybody on the planet, so it hardly matters where they are. Okay. Two, Spock is getting dropped down in the volcano to set off a cold fusion bomb. Yes. And the questioner says, wait, what? Yeah, he sets off the cold fusion bomb and all the lava freezes. Now, yes. you know cold fusion isn't actually cold, right? It's only, quote-unquote, cold in the sense that opposed to regular fusion, it's not a bazillion degrees hot. Yeah, cold fusion, the reason it's called cold fusion is because theoretically you can create a fusion of atoms at basically room temperature. Right. As opposed to a million degrees. Questioner so that's my says, Al Gore impression. Uh, and did you say Spock was in the volcano? Why didn't they just beam the bomb in there? Answer guy. Well, something about the planet's magnetic field, although they do beam Spock out of the volcano a few minutes later, so question guy. And why did Spock have to go with the bomb to set it off? Are you telling me in the 23rd century that people don't have a way to detonate bombs remotely? That's stupid. And why is the Enterprise just carrying around a cold fusion suitcase bomb anyway? Answer guy says, look, you're getting very upset. This is just the first scene of the movie. Um, Yeah, I I can... um, I mean, those are questions that didn't necessarily start festering in the back of my head i those are valid questions uh clearly this uh fact is going to be uh full of uh nitpickiness which uh, i'm okay Test. with um Test. we do want to uh we don't want to handle this in the spirit in which it was intended though Test. okay i'm going to try something okay can you hear me yeah you're really right. freaking me out right yeah now. no i'm going to use this i'm going to use this voice for the guy who's questioning okay and then I'll use my regular voice for the answer guy. Good. I right. love that. Does that, that. help? I'm, I'm Does that help a little bit? Yeah. Maybe I should... Um, I kind of like see. it. You like that? I could turn I... the light off so you're kind of more silhouetted, no, okay. too, if that'll help. Because they do that in TV. Uh, the, the trick behind a silhouette, by the way, people, is you don't have any lights in front of them. You do have lights behind them. Test, it's really test, actually test, quite test, simple. Test, 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 test. But if you don't think about it or someone doesn't tell you, it might not be... Uh, you know, perfect common sense. Okay, here's, this, this is, is better. Is this better? Yeah. It's easier to understand. It is, it is. This is the, this is the questioner voice. Okay. And because see. the people asking these questions are, they're, they see. haven't matured okay. yet. Right, okay. Physically? Okay, fine, what happens next? Well, Spock's zipline breaks, so he's stuck in the volcano. The right. Enterprise is underwater. So Kirk can't ascend without the aliens seeing it, thus breaking the prime directive. What? The Enterprise <laughs> is parked in the ocean. That's, That's ridiculous. ridiculous. Even, Even the ship designed to function in the vacuum of space could handle the pressures underwater, which I'm 99% sure it can't. Even if the thrusters could function underwater, which makes no sense, and even if the ship could survive flying out of the water without the insanely large surface area of the front part snapping off like a twig... Why the heck did they park it underwater instead of just hanging out in space like they were supposed to? Uh, because J.J. Abrams saw the helicarrier scene from the Avengers and got jealous, I guess. Oh, burn. Um, yeah, there was... Other than the very generic but possibly quite relevant idea that magnetic fields were wonky around this planet, around the volcano, around the whatever. Um, now... 
why the ship needed to be underwater is still a complete mystery to me. And and if they if they needed to, I guess it was, it was a matter of, of time at this point. Well, um, it, it was it, a neat visual. Yeah. Uh, by the way, impulse engines are theoretically uh, chemical thrusters, basically. They're, they're actual engines with, like, fire coming out the back of them and stuff, I think. I mean, the warp engines, clearly you're not going to create a warp bubble, you know, 100 feet down or whatever. Or maybe, maybe you could. could. Oh. I'm really enjoying. I like I'm really enjoying this effect. I do kind of like that too. Look, I know Star Trek is science fiction, but hasn't Trek always at least nominally tried to get science right? Shouldn't a Star Trek movie give the tiniest, you know what, about such things? One might presume. Yeah, there's whole books written about the. I've got a book on my shelf. I'm looking at right now called The Physics of Star Trek. Let's just move on. He says. So Kirk rescues Spock, breaks the Prime Directive by showing themselves to the aliens. The aliens start worshiping the Enterprise. Spock sends a report to Starfleet on what happened. Kirk gets busted. Kirk is removed as captain of the Enterprise. What? Yeah, you know how the first movie was all about Kirk's journey from a rebellious kid to a more mature leader of men? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're doing that again. They did kind of poop on that. Ugh. Meanwhile, Rose's boyfriend from boyfriend Mickey from Doctor Who puts a ring in a glass and blows up the Starfleet Library in London. Why, Why does, does he do, do that? that? In exchange for Benedict Cumberbatch saving his sick kid, this forces all the Starfleet bigwigs, including Pike, who's reinstated as captain of the Enterprise, and Kirk, who becomes Pike's first officer, to meet at a very specific room with large windows at Starfleet headquarters to discuss the situation. That, that sounds like, like a, a very bad, bad idea. idea. As it turns out, it is. Sherlock bombed the library just to get all the heads of Starfleet in this room so he can use a small gunship and shoot the hell out of everyone in it. Pike dies before... Kirk manages to destroy the ship with a fire hose, and Cumberbatch beams away. Pike, Pike dies? He, he doesn't, doesn't get his little wheelchair, wheelchair box? <laughs> Alas, no, because everything is about Kirk. Kirk uses the opportunity to ask Starfleet Admiral Robocop for permission to take the Enterprise and go kill Benedict Cumberbatch. Robocop accepts. After Shaun of the Dead somehow figures out that Sherlock has gone to the Klingon homeworld, RoboCop gives the Enterprise 72 experimental new photon torpedoes and says they, when they locate Harrison, they just need to bomb him from orbit. Oh, so that kill the heck out of Sherlock thing was literal, huh? No, it wasn't, it wasn't from orbit. I mean, it was from, like, solar systems away. The yeah. whole point was these, these things all of a sudden, you know, were basically warp-driven. Right. And, you know, it was... It was clearly a cruise missile is what it was. All right. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't seem very Starfleety to me. Well, it doesn't seem very Starfleety to Spock either, who points out to Kirk that both legally that it's both legally and morally wrong to even kill a known terrorist without a trial. But Kirk really, really wants to get revenge for Pike, even to the point of firing Scotty, when Scotty refuses to allow the mysterious photon torpedoes on board unless he can see what's in them. Something to do with messing up the warp engine. Kirk fires Scotty? What kind of Star Trek film is this? Well, Scotty, he accepts Scotty's resignation, but I think your question stands. Anyways, Carol Marcus, who's RoboCop's daughter, even though we're not supposed to know this, and who also has an English accent for some reason, yeah, sneaks on board because she's a weapons specialist and interested in the torpedoes. Wasn't Carol Marcus a molecular biologist in the original Trek universe? Yeah, I assume the career switch is Eric Bana's fault. Yeah, we're kind of not uh, we're kind of in that universe, so we need to get over that. So, so then, then what? Then Kirk finally decides that murdering a man in cold blood possibly isn't the right thing to do. 
and announces they're going to try to catch Sherlock alive. They head to Kronos and are pretty much immediately caught by Klingons who are saved by, but are saved by by Sherlock. Huh? huh? Why, Why does he, he save them? them? I think it's mostly to show what a supreme badass he is since he takes them all out simultaneously, including a few ships, thanks to a very big gun, and then he surrenders. Huh? huh? What? Why? Well, he finds out about the weird torpedoes, specifically the number of them, which is 72, and then surrenders. There's actually a reason. What, what is, is it? it? Well, as Kirk finds out, when he interrogates Sherlock, Sherlock made the torpedoes for Robocop, and inside each torpedo is one of his cryogenically frozen people, because it turns out that Sherlock is actually Khan. Oh. Oh, you're, are you, aren't you shocked? Aren't you surprised at this in, incredible reveal? No, I'm just angry. When the movie was announced, Abrams and whoever clearly stated that Cumberbatch would be playing a canon Trek character, and everybody guessed it was Khan. Then they promised he wasn't playing Khan. And then they said Cumberbatch's character's name was John Harrison, even though there's no previous Trek character named John Harrison. And again, we knew it was Khan. And they tried to make it. This whole big mystery as if we're all morons who had somehow forgotten a classic Trek character named John Harrison. Like they were actually going to pull one over on us when we were telling them over and over again that we knew it was Khan, and the only thing they were accomplishing by denying it was, one, being jerks, and two, insulting our intelligence. Well, and furthermore, using Khan just proves that new Trek is going to be nothing more than the greatest hits version of Star Trek, and even... Not even the original hits. Some new band covering the old hits. It means that Abrams doesn't have any original ideas for Star Trek and is content to rehash the crap people enjoyed the first time. Of all the classic Trek characters to bring back, of all the classic stories they could have brought to mass audiences for the first time, or even bad stories that could have improved, they go with the one character everybody already knows because they think all we want to do is see the same old stuff over again. Okay, can we... Yeah. Can we stop here for just yes. a second? Okay. I mean, yes. Okay, thank you. Not thank yes. You. Thank you. Not yes, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, this, this if if I talked about this in the last podcast, please stop me. I've I've gone over this enough times. I've I've it's it's getting fuzzy on me. But that is one of the uh, this is one of the few issues I have with this whole new Star Trek universe thingy. You did that, bring it up, but okay. continue because it's okay. valid or, or rehammer it in maybe. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is this. This, this guy's, guy's making, making a very good, good point. point. Yeah. Um, the idea that you've got someone here, and I don't know how much Abrams and company have to do with the, uh, the, the comic book, uh, not, the comic book uh, Star Trek, the ongoing comic book Star Trek, which is pretty good, but it really tripped me out after I read the first few issues and realized that what they're doing, uh, every issue is, is one half of a two-parter, by, by the way, so you have to buy two comics to get one complete story in each. Um, which could be worse, um, but each episode, each issue of Star Trek that I've read so far, and I stopped reading them fairly shortly on, um, are they take old plot lines and they're giving them back to you with some uh, slight but significant difference. Um, that sounds like Mirror Universe to me that TOS it, did originally, and all the other... TV shows have done their versions of Mirror Universe. It kind of does. And one of the things I thought that was so great about the first movie, the one in 09, was that it was pretty original. I mean, you had, you know, what? You're acknowledging that this is an alternate universe by having Spock here? 
Um, you're having uh, these Romulans with this huge ship, and and I know that that very few ideas are truly original, but they but they put them together in such a way. The the stew that they made was uh, something that you had never tasted before, and it the first movie was original. Dang it, and. It was different from Star Trek, and it was theoretically looking for a new audience, or it was, it was inclusive of the old Star of Trekkies, but broad enough for non-Trekkies to come in to you know come in under the tent. Uh, I think Abrams managed that that delicate balancing act almost perfectly in the first movie. Agreed. And in the second movie, um. It does feel like he's taking an idea and rehashing it and flipping it a little tiny bit so that it's not uh, um, that it's not exactly the same. It, it's exactly what they've done with the comic book. I don't understand why they're doing it, and I'm okay with them coming out with a character. Um, now, to their credit, uh, nothing that happened with Khan, the original Khan. Uh, in Khan's history, happened with this. I mean they they weren't uh, they weren't exiled from Earth after the uh, eugenics wars of right. the early nineties. Thank goodness for that. By the way, I, I tried to explain that to the kids. Um, by the way, about twenty years ago were horrible eugenics uh, wars, and about a sixth of the world's population was killed, and uh, we were ruled by uh, by genetic superiors, and they didn't they didn't remember that. Of course. You know, they weren't born until 02 and 06. What the hell do they know? Yeah. Yeah. They 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 didn't uh, they didn't help me out at all with my logic train there. Um but it kind of felt like you're being taken for a little bit of a ride there. Um there was no need for that character to have been named Khan. I guess I'm okay with the idea that you do it just to throw kind of an Easter egg to the audience. You know, to give all the Trekkies a chance to go, oh, Gone. He was awesome, but it had nothing, 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 nothing to do with the original Khan mythos. I mean, you know, we. But okay, should we go on or should I go into my main rant? Because I, I, I do have one primary issue with they, this movie. They may cover it. Okay, All so right. let me let me continue here. All right, and then if we don't, obviously we'll we'll talk about it. Yes. Okay, also, did you say that Khan put his frozen people in torpedoes? Yes, he did. He's a brilliant strategist, and that's the best plan he could come up with? To hide the people he so desperately wanted to save inside explosives? What was he going to do if Kirk hadn't conveniently had all those torpedoes on him? And why did RoboCop give Kirk all 72 torpedoes to kill a single dude in the first place? Um... Eric Bana? F you. Whoa. What was that all about? He had made it. Sorry. He had made a reference earlier to the reason things were different was because Eric Bana created a right. new universe. That was, I did not find uh, satisfaction in that answer yeah. of Eric Bana because I don't know what that has to do with anything, much less the question that was just asked, which well, was he played, pretty relevant. He played Nero in the first Right, movie. yes. Okay. I'm with you there. Gotcha. But what does that have to do with uh, actually taking... And I, I'm sorry. My point here is not to nitpick every little thing, but that's right. a good point. Yeah. And that's a good question um, that you're desperately trying to hide people. My, my interpretation was that that was basically the only hiding spot he could find. Right. 
Um, nobody would expect that. And it's true. Nobody would expect that. Maybe he had some Unless shirt. Go ahead. you have a, a reasonable engineer on a ship or anybody who says what's inside these what's 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 inside the guts of this thing it's this is the fanciest uh newest technology available to us it's a it's a photon torpedo that can travel through warp space and arrive three solar systems over and blow someone up with pinpoint accuracy i'd kind of like to know how this thing's put together well so did Shaun of the dead he questioned it well yeah he did and he was right to do so and it's kind of amazing that that he was the only person that we know of who actually thought to do that. Um, and, and, you know, the, the whole point, I, I believe, is just entirely specious. I, you know, of course, I don't know how Star Trek physics work, but are you telling me that, that scanning something is going to interfere with his warp drive? How many times have ships gotten, gotten scanned? I mean, just, you know, how many times has, has your, your, your spaceship gotten scanned by another ship? And it doesn't affect the warp drive. I just, it yeah, just, I know. it seemed like a very convenient argument, and well, I didn't like it. And I'll, I have one comment that kind of sums up my feelings about it, and I'll just save it till the end of the discussion. Okay. But um, he says, uh, "Don't shoot the uh, frequently asked question. Frequent, don't shoot the frequently asked question answerer, please." Okay. Anyways, Kirk verifies the frozen torpedo people with thanks from Carol Marcus and Bones. Get some coordinates from Khan and call Scotty, the person he'd so recently let go, and ask him to check it out. As it turns out, Robocop is building a giant combat spaceship out there because he wants to militarize Starfleet because he's certain we're going to meet more races like the Klingons and also because he's a dick. Well, and I thought that was one of the coolest parts yeah. of the entire movie. That, to me, the point where, where Khan, um, who's basically, um, hey, uh, did... Abrams just steal that whole scene from the Avengers where Loki allows himself to be captured because that's what he wants. He needs to be near these people so he can talk to them. They would not take him seriously and have a discussion with him if he were calling well, them on a communicator. He has to be there in person. It's the exact same thing that happened with Loki. That's not a, you know, that idea from the Avengers was not a new idea. We've seen that. No, that's we certainly common, have. That's a common plot yes. thing. Oh, he wanted this all along. Right. You know? And the Joker. In uh, the Dark Knight, he pulled oh, that yeah. same thing. Absolutely, you know. Yes, you're right. It's a uh, uh, certainly not a, a a new concept, but yeah. Uh, and I didn't th- that didn't annoy me. Um, I think the idea that uh, um, that it would surprise any of the the non con people that con uh, that this was playing into Khan's hands um, that did surprise me. Yeah. It's like it's you know anybody with a triple digit IQ should think you know he's clearly letting himself be captured and nobody in the movie asked the question why is he letting himself be captured that I remember. I think Kirk might have okay might have eventually came to that conclusion. Okay, like, he obviously wants something. Yeah, but it was after his incarceration, right? I think so. I mean, it wasn't like they're not walking him to a cell going, "Why are we doing this? This right. is exactly what he wants." Yeah, I think All it right. was after. Uh, he goes on, Weller is also the one who found Khan floating in space, woke him up, and forced him to use his intellect and powers to make weapons for him. Why, Why was Khan floating, floating in space? space? Actually, this Khan has the same origin as the original Khan. He's a genetically engineered warrior created for the eugenics wars of the 90s. He ruled part of Asia before... Wait, wait what? The, the eugenics, eugenics wars of the, of the 1990s? 1990s? Yes. 
We didn't have any eugenics wars in the 1990s, unless you count Dawson's Creek. Yeah, wow. but Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't like Dawson. Dawson's Creek. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Gene Roddenberry didn't know that when he created Con in 1967. But, but we do because, because it's 2013. But it's canon. Don't you like canon? I, I like it when it doesn't get stupid. And why would Abrams and crew stick to Khan's origin timeline, even though he, it makes zero sense, but also suddenly change him to a white dude? That's cherry-picking the stupidest parts of canon and non-canon. I don't know. I think it's nice that in this day and age, a white male can still be cast as an Indian played by a Mexican. White men really have come a long way. I'm going to punch you in your throat. <laughs> Anyways, that's Khan's deal. Weller flies the Enterprise to meet Kirk and still... By the way, we're almost done with this. Okay. Meet Kirk and still his prisoner, so he, number one, doesn't get caught being a jerk, and two, can continue being a jerk and militarize Starfleet. He beams his daughter onto his ship and then starts firing. The Enterprise takes more direct hits than it does in the entirety of the original TV series. Really? Huh. Okay. okay. But before Weller fires the final shot, Scotty, who has snuck upon the killer prize... And apparently, I like that name, by the way, the Killer Prize. That's his name for the big military ship. Okay. The Killer Prize. And apparently been waiting for this exact moment, resets the Killer Prize's power, forcing it to boot back up like a Mac. And almost as long. (laughs) Since the Enterprise has no weapons or shields, Kirk takes the opportunity to team up with Khan, and they fly over to the Killer Prize. Scotty lets them in. What? What? Yeah, Kirk teams up with Khan. Isn't that cool? The two enemies forced to work together to take out a greater enemy? No, because Khan's an a-hole. Kirk's being a moron. In Kirk's defense, it only takes him five to ten minutes to realize that he has made a horrible mistake. This mistake is confirmed when they reach the bridge and Khan beats the heck out of him. Kirk and Scotty breaks Carol's leg and crushes Robocop's head in his hands. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I figured. Meanwhile, Spock calls old Spock to ask him what the deal with this Khan guy is. I thought, I thought old Spock has agreed never to tell new Spock anything so he could live his own life and all that jazz. Yes, and we know this because Spock says, I have vowed never to tell you anything of your future because I want you to live your own life and blah, blah, yes. blah. Just with, before adding... With that being said. Yeah. But Khan is an a-hole, and here's how we defeated him. <sighs> Whatever. Khan offers to trade Kirk and the others for his people and their torpedo beds, which acting Captain Spock agrees to. Of course, Spock arms all the torpedoes right before Khan beams them over, so the Killer Prize explodes, although not before shooting the Enterprise several million more times. Brilliant Brilliant strategist, huh? He was a little excited. Also, he had Peter Weller's skull juice all over his hands. That would distract anybody. So So we're we're done. done. No, by no means. The Enterprise is pretty much dead and has entered Earth's orbit, meaning it's falling really, really fast. The problem is that the warp drive is misaligned, so wait Wait a minute. minute. I know, I know what's, what's happening, happening here. So the ship can't stop falling, but the warp drive room is full of radiation and... No! 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 no. <laughs> so Kirk runs into the warp drive room and kicks it back into place. It's, oh, oh, it's Kirk, Kirk this time! time. That's, That's even worse. worse! And then Spock realizes what's happened and he runs down to the room where he sees Kirk dying behind the locked glass door and... Ah! And Kirk puts his hand on the glass and Spock puts his, his hand, hand on the glass and he makes the Vulcan salute and Kirk dies and... Don't, don't you say it! it. Spock, no, no don't, don't you say it. it. Spock yells, ah, Khan! Bleep, whatever you want to say. The, the, guy's, guy's, the, the guy's, guy's not. The guy's not happy. Right. Why don't you like it? 
I liked, liked it fine. fine. And going, going back, back to what, what going back to what you said, Bill. I liked it fine the first time I saw it in Wrath of Khan. Of course, the reason I like it is because Kirk and Spock's friendship has been part of pop culture for 15 years. So Spock's death and Kirk's anguish was given some actual agency instead of now when Kirk and Spock have known each other for four hours of screen time, two of which they didn't like each other. I also liked it the first time because it was new and not a crass, creatively bankrupt attempt to manipulate the audience's emotions, not through sadness, but because because there's clearly no way Kirk is actually going to stay dead, but because the scene is nothing more than here is something you'll have seen before with a slight difference, so you'll like it, as opposed to even trying to give us something, anything genuinely new. Right. Oh. So the next movie is The Search for Kirk, I suppose. Nah, see, Bones drew some of Khan's blood to figure out why he was so strong and resilient, and he injected it into a dead Tribble because because I suppose Bones' hobby is injecting dead things with various people's blood. It's a little weird. Why not? You're kidding. As it happens, as soon as Bones hears Kirk has died, the dead Tribble comes back to life thanks to Khan's blood. I'm, I'm going to kill, kill myself. myself. The Enterprise has crash-landed on... Anyway, it goes on... It wouldn't on. do you any good if you've got Khan's blood in you. Right. I mean... There's more, and, you know, this, I was almost done. It makes a lot of good points. I mean, this this whole article. This this anonymous person is is very angry about having seen this movie, apparently. One thing they do point out here is that, okay, I'll just read it. Yeah. It says, uh, oh, so they've just eliminated death forever. Beg your pardon? Kirk was dead for many, many minutes of radiation poisoning, right? He gets injected with Khan's blood, or a synthesized version of it. Even better, so... What wouldn't Khan's blood fix? Decapitation, but most other mortal wounds, poisons, phaser blasts, I bet. Certainly most other illnesses and cancers and such, and probably aging, at least to an extent. So basically, Bones has discovered the secret to eternal life, and not only will no one on the Enterprise ever need to die again unless their body is somehow destroyed, but all of the civilization will be irrevocably changed because of this amazing discovery. You know, there's a... Oh, was there I, not? A, was there not a, uh, a, a semi-snide but uh, fairly well reasoned out answer to that question? That was that, that was, was this guy. guy. I'm, I'm just tired, tired of the effect. effect. Okay, and he says the the answerer says, um, uh, "I don't think so. Yep. I think they just save Kirk and then forget about it." I mean, they don't make any mention of it. Right. It's a great point. It's a great point. I mean, that's that's. I think they did really open Pandora's box with that one because there's there's no good way to put that back into the box, you know, without bringing it up. Uh, uh, Any time for the rest of this Star Trek universe's run, however long, long may it rain. Um, but for if they make one more movie or twenty five more Star Trek movies in this universe with these characters, um, you basically can't have anybody die without getting like their torso shot off. Without saying, we'll just give him some of Khan's blood. It's all good. And I don't want to hear that, well, um, we only had so much and we ran out of it. And he blew up. It's like, um, I don't believe that in an age where you can transport things across solar systems and you can break the speed of light, you can't synthesize something you've got in a test tube. I don't believe that the chemical reaction is going to be so complex that you can't recreate it um, with this device that can build up items molecule by molecule. I will not buy that. 
I so, think it's just going to be a, a plot thread that they ignore. I, I, I like Spider Man and Mary Jane's Baby from the nineties. Oh my gosh! Oh, I hope not. They're um, just going to ignore it. it. If they're smart, they'll comment on it in the next movie. It will. They they better have a reasonable explanation for it uh, because that that is going to be that's going to be a huge shot. I'm going to give Abrams enough credit and Orsi and Lindelof, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm going to give them enough credit to to realize that they have to address this, and they can't just say, "Oh, don't worry about it." Funny you should. You're, mention, you're pretty. Don't funny worry about it. You should it. mention Lindelof. Okay. Lost is my favorite show of all time. Yes. Did it have pro- issues, problems that I maybe have chosen to not let bother me? Yeah. I would okay. say so. Well, it's often that that your memories of something typically give more weight to the positive things and try to eliminate the negative things because otherwise you'd be a very sour person. We all would. Was Prometheus perfect? Not by any means. Did I enjoy it? Yeah, big yeah. time. Did I enjoy this Star Trek movie? Yes. Was yeah. it perfect? No. What's the common thread here? Lindelof, maybe? Lindelof and Orsi? Maybe it's time that Lindelof just keeps his ideas to himself. Um, I mean, it seems weird for me to say that because... You'd think Lindelof maybe uh, has a little bit of Brandon Braga in him, possibly. Yeah. I gave Braga a lot of credit um, for coming up with some really cool ideas. Uh, He... He seemed to really enjoy the time travel conundrum paradox type stuff. Right. Um, his ideas to me seemed very high level. Um, it wasn't here's a here's an alien with some funky dripping skin, and now we, now our warp drive is broken, and we can't. No, no. His ideas were were very very high level and just really cool. Um, and then it devolved from that to Berman and Braga being responsible for Enterprise. You know, it didn't end well. Um, I think it's it's quite possible. You know, a band, you know, there has, it has happened plenty of times in history where a band has had one great album. Mm-hmm. And they can't duplicate it. Because they spent their entire life with this idea in their head. And I don't think this applies to Lindelof right here. Um, but I think it's worth mentioning that the sole concept that you can run out of good ideas. Yeah. You can run out of original, fresh ideas. Um, and it's okay to do that. Uh, it's, it's sad, but you know, it's physics and it's all right. Um, I, I can't figure out, and, and I want to preface all this by saying that I will be buying the Blu-ray and I feel really sorry. I truly feel sorry for people who are mad at this movie. I truly feel sorry for people who are angry about their experience in this in this movie. Um, if it really gets to you that much, I just don't even know what to tell you. I mean, start reading more Dickens, I guess. Maybe learn how to paint or something. Um, I, I honestly don't know what to tell people who can't be happy with their experience uh, in this theater. That doesn't mean that we have to sit here and go, okay, well, this movie was perfect, and I'm going to gloss over and ignore every problem that it might have had. Um, I mean, because th- they're... Unfortunately, this movie was not as good as the first movie. I think we can say that. It 
it tried different things, uh, and not everything failed. I mean, there were some incredible sequences in this movie. I, mm-hmm. I thought the 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 whole close the, the the last thirty minutes of the movie were really awesome. I really enjoyed all the action stuff. Um, but uh, an article I read, I think it all it may have come from IO Nine. It was from uh, your buddy, um, your uh, your sleeping bag partner, uh, Mark Johnson. Hey, what's up, Hellsfire? Um, he what, said like, maybe you guys don't actually share bag sleeping partner? bags. I don't know. It's just it can't. Okay, I'm sorry. When you talk a lot, phrases just come out, and sometimes you live to regret them. I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, he directed me to a uh, to we a have very shared good socks ar- before. He directed me to an article. That's interesting. It's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I don't know how to just fact virtual that in. socks, not literally. Right. Okay. I don't even know what that means. But he sent me a link to a very good article, which I think may have been off IO Nine also. But the the point of the article was was why The Wrath of Khan is still a great movie. Yeah. And the article ended up basically coming up with the conclusion that that Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is still the best of the Star Trek movies. And uh, the thing that really got me the second time I watched the movie, I didn't really notice it the first time. You're just, you're just trying to keep up. You right. know, you're, you're enjoying the roller coaster ride. The second time around... You kind of know what's coming up. So, you know, the second time you ride that roller coaster, you, well, you know that we're going to have this big, tall drop, and then there's going to be a corkscrew and stuff. So you can kind of process the process of going through this a little bit more. And the thing that I could not shake as I watched this movie the second time, and this is my big, this is my big problem with this movie, um, and I don't remember having this issue watching Lost or the first Star Trek movie or... Fringe episodes, uh, but it's possible that they were there, and I just need to experience them again to realize it, was the dialogue, the literal script, the literal words put on page that the actors are going to speak. Um, I did not enjoy listening to the dialogue between the characters. It, it felt like they were writing down to the lowest common denominator. Huh. And this comes from someone, uh, admittedly, I'm uh, a Frank Herbert. I'm a Stephen Donaldson guy. I appreciate literature that forces me outside of my comfort zone and forces me to think and forces me to read you know, paragraphs or pages or entire chapters of books a second time to realize what I missed the first time. Um, uh, I, I enjoy sitting there with a dictionary next to my bed because even someone with a vocabulary like mine I'm Stephen Donaldson does this all the time to me, especially with his newer books. It's like I'm forty something years old. Uh, I'm the only boy that's ever won spelling bees that I know of, um, and I'm white, so you know that's a double whammy. Um, and I think I have a vocabulary that that's that's pretty big, but I'm seeing words I've literally never even heard of, and I don't even know where. I mean, I could barely get. You know, so you're a, you're a language snob. I think I'm a language elitist. Yes, I do. And so with all that being said, you don't have to do that to impress me. But I really thought as I'm listening, as I'm watching this movie the second time through, that the, that the dialogue that they have the actors say is really kind of lowest common denominator. See, I appreciate that. I want movies to talk to me like I'm 12 years old. Okay. I wasn't expecting that from I you, don't, Brad. I don't like to have to think, Okay, what did that mean? Yeah. I just want to hear it and go, 
I know, well, what, and, I know what that means. And I'm not trying to say that, that literature, movies, TV, comics, whatever, can only be good if they use words you don't know. Right. That's not my point. Because you've got guys like, uh, um, okay, I'll just pull a couple names out of the hat. Michael Crichton, Isaac Asimov. These gentlemen, uh, Orson Scott Card, by the way. Um, these guys do not use big, florid, multisyllabic words to confuse you. They speak in plain English, but they make some really incredible thoughts, arguments, connections between people, whatever. Asimov is the first person I noticed this from. I, I've just finished reading the Dune series uh, when I'm down to full sale, and then I go to read the Foundation series is the next thing I read. And the Foundation series, you blow through it because it's easy reading. It's conceptually, it's incredible. And so you can write really incredible, powerful you know, genre bending, paradigm changing stuff without having to use these huge words. With that said, I did not think that the script of Star Trek Into Darkness accomplished that. Um, and a lot of this refers back to I hate to take my thoughts from other people's uh, uh, writings, but this article uh, that uh, Mark sent me uh, did really smack me a couple times in the head. And it's like, yep, yeah, that crystallizes what I was thinking. Um, you know, especially in Star Trek Two, you know, Khan quotes Moby Dick, you know, a lot, mm -hmm. or Captain Ahab, I guess, whatever. You know, but but you know, there are passages of dialogue in Star Trek Two and, and Star Trek Six, you know, with, with Colonel Clang and or Craig or whatever his name is, and he's he's quoting Shakespeare. Yeah. And isn't Nicholas Meyer the the, the common thread between Star Trek's two and six? Uh I think it might be. Let me look. Think he is, um, and so maybe this is a Nicholas Meyer thing to use this florid prose, you know, uh, you know, because of course we all know that uh, Shakespeare um, was written originally in Klingon, um, and Khan. There's every reason to to realize why Khan would be quoting Moby Dick. It has so many relevant parallels to the plot lines that they went through, and he clearly would have read that. As a kid, he was he was credited for screenplay for number six, right? And, and it he, says screenplay uncredited and, for number two. Okay, yeah. Oh, and he he is credited for screenplay on four. Oh, Voyage okay. Home and well, cool. So yeah, I don't remember anything like that in uh, Voyage Home, but they didn't have they didn't have villains, no. you know, of that stature to begin with. Uh, so maybe this is a Nicholas Meyer thing. Maybe this is me loving Nicholas Meyer more than than disliking anybody else that's ever done it. Um, but just, you know, who can forget Khan in Star Trek, the wrath of Khan saying, you know, you know, I will from hell's, from hell's breath, I spit my last breath at thee and round perdition's flames and through this and through that. And he just spoke in a very cool way. And you got none of that. Um, that is so sweet. I forgot to bring it out at the beginning. <laughs> it upsets me. I forgot to bring it out. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to take my eyes off that now for the rest of the podcast, however long it lasts. Um, so, yeah, my big problem was just the characters said dumb words to each other. I uh, the, the the article that I read mentioned how, you know, Khan and Kirk, it's all wordplay. And, and this section comes from the Space Seed episode where Khan, you know... Kirk and Spock kind of logic condo a corner, and he slams his fist at the table and goes, we offered the world order. And then Spock says, we? And Khan says, he smiles, realizing he's been caught, kind of leans back in his chair and goes, 
Excellent. 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 And then he grew fatigued. Um, but you never get any of those moments in this movie. You never get any moments that script-wise make you tingle. You never get... There's not one I moment in this movie where, where what they say makes you go, Oh, my God. Oh, he did not just do that. He did not just say that. It never happens. Well, I found myself getting emotional a lot and... Now, I did, too. I mean, the, the first time... I had goosebumps every once in a while. Okay. Um, I, I guess I'm not as snobby when it comes to my scripts as you. And I agree that that, uh, that script and dialogue, it can oftentimes be kind of trickery. You know, you can cover things up by using big words. I get that. Um, but I just... I, I, to say I can't forgive the screenwriters of Into Darkness is overstating it because I can... Um, I still enjoyed the movie overall. Um, I just personally, I'm disappointed that they didn't come as strong to the hoop as they did in 2009 when they did the first movie. Um, because that, it seemed like they nailed everything. And then it just seemed like they threw so much of it away. It was almost like restarting in Into Darkness. I mean, you could have easily just wiped the first movie off the history books totally. You didn't need it. You know, they didn't they didn't build on the first movie to get to the second movie because Kirk, you know, Kirk and Spock are still bickering at each other. Uh, Kirk well, is still do. Kirk is still is still overly egotistical. He hasn't. The, the problem is that the characters haven't really gone through. They haven't gone through any arcs and completed those arcs yeah. before the second movie starts. Um, and again, script wise, uh, I had issues with Spock's line delivery, it seemed stilted. It seemed like he was trying too hard, Captain, to speak like a Vulcan. Okay, and it's like I didn't, I didn't. let him relax a little bit. And Scotty and Sulu and Chekhov—they didn't really have a whole heck of a lot to do. And uh, I had okay. My buddy Mike was going. We I couldn't talk to him last Saturday night when he stayed the night um, because he hadn't seen the movie yet. Yeah. And he was telling me how oh, I hear that Scotty and Sulu you know have a lot bigger roles in this movie. And it's like, Sulu, not so much. But Scotty, and all I could say was, yes, he does have a bigger role. But it seemed like the vast majority of what Scotty did was just quips. Oh, he was talking about Scotty and McCoy. And I really think that McCoy was just wasted in this movie. Because he never well, once made a contribution that wasn't, that wasn't, dang it, I'm crotchety. You know, there, it's when you've got nine characters yeah it's hard to give them all things to do of of equal importance it's a lot of mouths to feed i get that and and everybody knows kirk and spock right are what star trek is about yeah well i don't know i mean growing up it was always about the the triumvirate it was kirk spock and mccoy okay i mean it was it was but even to this day mm -hmm. you i Yes. Rarely hear people going, man, McCoy was just. Yeah. You know, it's always, man, Kirk and Spock, dudes. Ah, uh, you, any, you put them up against any. You never hear yeah. anybody say, dude, take Anthony Edwards from ER up against McCoy from <laughs> Star Trek. No, no contest. You just don't hear that about McCoy. Right. I appreciate the heck out of McCoy. I'll give you that. But it's always. Those two guys. I mean, it's those two. Yes, in Star Trek Five, McCoy had a a big. Was it Star Trek Five? 
McCoy had a big part to do with that? The search for the search for God. I'm sorry. I'm confusing. I don't know why I'm thinking five. Okay. Three. Okay. You know, basically had Spock's brain inside his. So he had a he had a right. major story. Yeah. Well, I mean the the, the whole there. triumvirate thing was mainly uh, uh, the original series, and so you never really saw that manifest right. in the movies. Um, but by that time, you had you had all that history, and you knew that McCoy was. You knew who McCoy was and why he was there. And you didn't really need to keep reestablishing those relationships. So you could kind of go with the two superheroes, Kirk and Spock. And I totally get that. Um, my issue is just it seemed like Scotty and McCoy, you know, McCoy is, McCoy is Kirk's conscience and Spock's foil. And Scotty is, Scotty, well, he's Scotty, you know? Mm-hmm. But it just. Even in the old series, though? Yeah. Scotty was, he wasn't on the level. No, he was an ancillary character. Yeah. He was he was a second second tier character for sure. Um, but it seemed like the only thing that we got out of Scotty and McCoy was quippiness. We never really got them advancing the story. We got McCoy complaining about things, and Scotty basically giving us one liners. You know, Scotty's surprised about something, and you know, oh my veterans, you know, oh you got to be kidding me, oh it's up the apples and pears, you know, or whatever. But you know, you saw Scotty doing a lot of, uh, you know, his Scottish brogue or whatever. Um, but you didn't, it just didn't feel to me like you got any real character development out of really any of the characters in the movie except for Spock and maybe Kirk. Well, there are character stories and there are action stories. Yeah. And arguably this was an action story. Theoretically, but you had so little action in the first hour of the movie. And true. by the way, this is, okay, one of my other uh, issues, uh, one of my real issues with this movie is that um, there are, I, and I cannot think, you know, I cannot think of another big blockbuster action modern movie that I'm going to do this with, from the Avengers to Iron Man 2 to whatever. I'm just, I'm a completist. You know, when I listen to an album, I listen to an album from track from track one to track 12 and I'm mm-hmm. done with it. You know, I'm not, a, I don't skip around. I don't, you know, I'm one of those kind of people. I like to experience it the way it's expected to be experienced, you know, by the creator, the way the creator intends you to experience it. Right. So I'm not one of those people. I don't, I don't skip halfway to a movie and watch the end of it. Um, generally, but those sections, uh, the whole section with the guy leaving his wife and kid going off and killing himself. Um, I will very likely fast forward over that scene. I hope there's a chapter break right at the end of it so I can just pop through it. Right. I don't know if I ever want to see that. I, as I'm sitting there in the, in the theater, I'm thinking to myself, I don't ever want to see this, this scene again, ever, because it's they're, they're tear-jerking, and I don't like it. I mean, I, you know, I've got to the point, uh, maybe it's kids, maybe I'm old, maybe I'm stupid and soft, but I will well up, and I will cry at things the, sometimes these days. I do it. Um, and I did not want, I did not want to cry at this thing. What about it? Well, you can, but we're not going to be here for you to watch the entire thing. All right, whatever you can put it in. That's awesome. Um, uh, is Sage okay with it? Okay, so this is the part of the show where I uh, deal with the kids instead of. Uh, providing fresh content so anyway you know i had some issues with it but uh, all in all uh i enjoyed the movie and i look forward to seeing it again it just 
there's just for the first time there's a couple of sections of the movie i just wished i truly wished weren't in there and it wasn't a case of i understand the creators you know it's a subjective decision in this um but i really the second time i hated watching that scene where he kisses his kid and goes away and yeah you know i didn't mind cumberbatch saying i could fix her um but it just seemed to me that it went on way too long um and then there was another scene towards the end of the movie and i'm trying to remember exactly what it was um, but there was another scene which is like I'm going to skip over this too, and it wasn't the it wasn't the Kirk Spock stuff. Um, I don't think what was it? Now I'm failing. Whatever. Um, so there's actually a couple of chapters in this movie that I'm very likely just going to just chapter past when they show up on Blu-ray, and uh, that kind of makes me sad because I, I don't want to be like that. Um, so you know, take it for what it's worth. Jeez, um, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> Did we mention that at the beginning of the uh, yes, we episode? Did. That's good. That's good for us. We're uh, about an hour and almost an hour and a half in. So oh, my gosh. Before, how, the, how the two of us do this? Before I forget, I just yeah. want to mention that we did get two emails from new listeners, uh, Perry Beck and Matthew Marks. Thank you both for taking the time to write us. I'm going to wait until Frank's here okay. to read the entire uh, emails. Well, Perry and Matthew... Welcome aboard. Um, Perry, uh, your uh, your bumper sticker is on the way. He requested a bumper sticker. Good man. I still have some. If you guys want bumper stickers, I still have several left. Uh, Halfhourwasted at gmail.com. And uh, we hope Frank will be here. Um, not we hope. I'm, I mean, we do hope, but um, we're pretty sure we'll be with we, Frank next We time. expect. Yeah. Yes. By the way, Daryl Dixon, Walking Dead figures, holding steady at $66. I was hoping okay. it would change during yeah. the recording, but uh, we'll see. I'll report back uh, next time to let you know what I ended up making. Fantastic. Now, how much does uh, eBay charge for your the pleasure of your transaction? I haven't figured that out yet. Okay. So uh, okay. I'm sure they'll take their cut. I mean, is it 3% or is it 20%? I just have no idea. I don't think it's 20%. I hope not. No, I think it... I think it depends on – there was a whole page of, of how yeah. they do it, and I didn't read it. Okay. Maybe I should have, but um, – Whatever. We're going to end with a song, obviously. We're going to make some Skrilla anyway. The last episode we ended with a song was that Primus, Sergeant Baker, in celebration of the re-release was, was of Sailing awesome. the Seas of Cheese, which the CD was supposed to have come out that day. See. It has been pushed back every week. It still hasn't been still released. Still hasn't come out. True. Why? Any know. idea? No, I don't have any idea. Okay. But uh, it's your turn to play a song. Oh, and I've got one. So wait a minute. Let's do. Uh, you know, thanks for listening. If you have an email for us, halfhourwasted at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter half hour, at halfhourwasted. Uh, you can go to the Facebook group halfhourwasted. Um, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 972-798-3830. Uh, it's hard to remember all these things when you don't actually say it every week or have it written out in front of you. I'm with you. So what are you going to play? I don't know the phone numbers, by the way, so I'm glad you didn't ask me to do this for you. Um, well, uh, one thing, maybe we can maybe we can chat about this uh, next week, because I actually had this on my list of things to talk about, was the uh, the new Daft Punk album. It's fantastic. Um, Random it's, access it's, it's memories. Not, it's not perfect. But it is fantastic. I'll give you that. Um, but in, uh, I didn't want to play something off the the new album because you know I'm not ready to get sued quite yet. So we'll play something off one of the 
older albums okay. that we hopefully won't get sued for. So go out and people, Random Access Memories is not the only Daft Punk album ever. Okay, there's been many other albums, including the Tron Legacy soundtrack. Uh, um, but their uh, their second album, which is the one where they really hit big, was uh, 2001's Discovery. And I discovered this album when it came out, and uh, I've frankly I've loved it for the last 12 years. And I don't plan on ever not loving it. Um, but I figured just to be Star Trek centric, is that a word? It's close enough. Yes. Um, uh oh. They, they, they do. They, they kind of do, do a lot of this with their vocals on, on this do. new album. They do, and, and I appreciate that. Yeah, they, they've always nice. done that. They, oh, okay. They've always tricked their voices up. I like it. Yeah. So uh, what you're going to enjoy right now is uh, the uh, track ten off Voyager's Dis- uh, off uh, Discovery's album. Excuse me. I'd like to start over now. This is track ten off Daft Punk's Discovery album. When did in honor this of Star album Trek, come out? This is. Voyager. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When did this album come out? 2001. Okay. We ready? Yeah. All right. Good. And go. Good. 